0: You can donate anonymously, or you can add a message that I can see. As a podcaster, everything comes directly out of my pocket. I don't get paid to podcast. It's just my passion. So anything is appreciated to keep the show going. Thank you so much, guys. And now, on to the show.
1: Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices
0: Hello and welcome to Red Rum Blonde. This is a true crime podcast. Each week, I'll explore a case, the victims, the facts, and the mysteries surrounding it. Some are solved, some remain unsolved. I'm your host, Aaron Fleming. It was an ordinary day at the Via Palestra building in Milan. The doorman, Giuseppe Onorato, watched as the famous businessman entered. Neither man noticed the figure that came out of nowhere brandishing a gun. He fired upon the businessman with four shots to the back. The doorman was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. The killer then turned his gun on him and shot him in the arm before fleeing. Fortunately, He survived but his testimony didn't bring investigators any closer to finding out who the killer was. In most cases, police have a hard time finding motive or suspects. In this one, there were just too many. This week, I'll talk about the murder of Maurizio Gucci. So I used a variety of sources, of course, using Wikipedia, the Milan City Journal, an article in The Guardian by Abigail Haworth, one by Patty Agnew in the Irish Times, as well as People Magazine Investigates Crimes of Fashion. Police were confident in saying that the murder of 46-year-old Maurizio Gucci was premeditated. The Gucci family had been fighting with each other for control over this dynasty ever since the death of the patriarch and founder of the brand, Guccio Gucci. So when his grandson Maurizio had obtained control of the company, the family was furious and investigators knew they had to start the investigation there. So everybody knows the Gucci name, of course. It's synonymous with fashion, but very few of us know the origins of the brand. It all began with Guccio Gucci, who was born in Florence, Italy in 1881, the son of a Tuscan leather craftsman. He was in search of excitement and culture, so he moved to London, it's kind of funny, you're from Italy, where I think is full of culture, but you moved to London. Anyways, there he became employed at the Savoy Hotel. He did everything from bellboy to waiter. But it was his role as an elevator attendant that inspired what would become an empire. The hotel was a hot spot for celebrities and dignitaries, all, of course, carrying lots of luggage. So Gucci wondered what it would be like to see these people carrying this very distinct luxury brand. In 1921, Gucci Leather Goods opened in Florence, beginning what would become the House of Gucci. Not first, it was just a workshop with a handful of artisans, and they worked on custom bags in the back. Business quickly took off, though, with a second location in Rome, and before long, it was a factory. The business flourished, and by 1951, the family opened its store in Milan. Guccio had five sons. He had Vasco, Aldo, Ugo, Enzo, and Rodolfo, and most were involved in the business. Reportedly, it was his son, Aldo, who came up with this famous Double G logo. Since leather was in short supply due to Mussolini's trade embargo, the company started using this Tuscan hemp product for their bags. Those bags were just trimmed in leather, with the repeating double G's all over the bag. And this became the famous product that we all now know. Guccio preferred that the business stay only in Italy, but in 1952, Aldo, Rodolfo, and Vasco opened their first store in New York City. Sadly, just two weeks later, Guccio passed away on January 2nd, 1953. The company was then split into three parts between the eldest sons. So Aldo helmed the international part. Rodolfo took care of Milan, and Vasco had control over the Florence area. The one daughter of Gucci, Grimaldo, fought for control of the company but was not given any. The company had this huge surge in success after one of their bags was featured in a film by Roberto Rossellini. And instantly, celebrities and the elite wanted a Gucci bag on their arm. Fashion icons like Jackie Kennedy, Sophia Loren, and Audrey Hepburn carried the brand. So by the 1960s, attentions over control of the business were running high. Aldo had three sons, Paolo, Roberto, and Giorgio. And Rodolfo had just one son named Maurizio. Sadly, Vasco would pass away childless in 1974. But when the grandsons came into the picture, that's when the family began to fight over control. Rodolfo abandoned this career as a silent film actor after his father's death. And he then embraced the family business ideals, which he passed on to his son, Maurizio. Now, Maurizio's mother, Sandra, tragically died when the boy was just five. His father was so embroiled in the family business that he left his child in the care of a governess. So even though their relationship was very remote, Maurizio was underneath his father's thumb. He fully expected much out of his son for the future, and this included who he married. It was at a party in the 1970s when Maurizio first laid eyes on this beautiful woman in a red dress who he thought looked like Elizabeth Taylor. That woman turned out to be 23 year old Patrizia Reggiani. On their second date, he asked for her hand in marriage. For Maurizio, this was love at first sight. Unlike the Gucci's, Patrizia grew up poor. When she was eight, her mother married this very wealthy man, and that completely changed their world. After that, she became something of a socialite. She was always decked out in furs and jewels. But in the world of the rich in Italy, new money isn't as respected as old money. So Rodolfo forbade his son to marry Patrizia, because in his eyes, she was just a gold digger. And for the first time in his life, Maurizio stood up to his father... And he refused to follow his father's wishes. But that came with a hefty price because Rodolfo threw his son out of the house and out of the family business. Now Aldo took advantage of this rift and he invited his nephew to New York. Because by this time he was heading up the New York division. Aldo had also begun branching out his business into things like watches and clothing and shoes as well as opening many more store locations. So this brought in a lot of money for the Gucci business. But, as I said before, there was a lot of infighting within the company. One of the biggest troublemakers was apparently Aldo's San Paolo. He wanted to take the company in a totally different direction than his father and uncle, and he wanted to appeal to a younger crowd. When they disagreed with him, he branched out on his own anyway, And he started his own company in secret called Paolo by Gucci. But this got him fired when they found out. He was still a shareholder in the company, though. And that gave him access to all the board meetings, where there was always some kind of trouble, sometimes ending in violence. At one notorious board meeting, Paolo brought a tape recorder, saying he wanted it recorded since he didn't trust anyone. Ended with the tape recorder being thrown at his head. He would retaliate in the future by turning in his father for tax evasion. There is no love lost in this family. So while in New York, Aldo took Maurizio under his wing and he taught him the whole trade. At this point, life was going very well for the Gucci grandson. He was madly in love with Patrizia. The couple was so close that their chauffeur-driven car had this license plate that read Maurizio, combining their two names. Together, they had two daughters, Allegra and Alessandra, and it was just a beautiful couple with this beautiful life. And with things going so well, that's when his father, Rodolfo, had this change of heart about his son, saying that he made a big mistake by cutting him out of his life. So to make up for his mistake, he gifted the couple this luxury apartment on Fifth Avenue in New York. Now, that's quite a gift. By the late 70s, the Gucci company was making millions. And Patrizia loved being Mrs. Gucci. She was always draped in high-end clothing and jewelry. At this point, she managed pretty much everything of her husband's life, thinking of herself as something of a CEO of the company. Unfortunately, in 1983, Rodolfo was diagnosed with prostate cancer and he passed away at the age of 71. After his death, his 50% share of the company was passed on to Maurizio. So this created this huge power imbalance and turmoil within the family since their shares were much lower. Because Aldo had three sons, he had to split his shares between himself and them, but Rodolfo was just himself, so his shares went to Maurizio, if that makes any sense. So at one point, there were 18 different lawsuits going on in this company. Maurizio wanted to make big changes. He felt that the image of Gucci had become tarnished with his uncles dabbling in the cheaper markets and it made it tacky. And he longed for the days of his grandfather when Gucci was this exclusive brand. So it might have been gauche, but all of Aldo's ideas did bring in money. Money that enabled Maurizio and Patrizia to buy a penthouse and a yacht with things like eel skin couches. Aldo was not going to jeopardize this in any way by making any changes. This was when two pivotal characters came into the life of Maurizio Gucci. So one would be Naples psychic Pina Arnarima. She did things like tarot cards and tea leaves. And since Maurizio and Patrizia were very superstitious... They fanatically followed this woman's advice. To me, it was almost reminiscent of Tsar Nicholas and Alexandria and how they just fanatically worshipped Rasputin. Now, remember the name of Pina since she'll come into the story later on. Another important person in Maurizio's life was investment banker Andrea Morante. He was hired by Maurizio to try to fix the problems within the company. So he explained it to him like this. It's like having five chefs in a kitchen. And he wanted Marante to help him get it down to one chef with one menu. So Marante devised this plan with him to buy out all the shares of the cousins and his uncle. Now, of course, they would certainly not agree to this. So the plan was to use this international investment firm as a front and to buy the shares back that way. Paolo was approached first and he was more than happy to sell his shares because he thought this was betraying the family. Remember, he's still very sore about being fired and the failure of his business. Now, remember, this guy is someone that turned his father in for tax evasion. Next, they went to Aldo's other sons, Roberto and Giorgio, who followed suit. Finally, they came to Aldo. Now, even though he had the minority of the shares, he begrudgingly sold them, saying it was like selling his soul or part of his body. He was very brokenhearted when he found out that it was actually his nephew, Maurizio. And he never seemed to recover from it, dying less than a year later. Maurizio then set out to restore the Gucci name by totally revamping the brand. He wanted to get rid of all this cheap stuff that Aldo had brought into, and this involved closing many stores. Now, these stores brought in a lot of money, so by shutting these stores down, the company lost millions of dollars. It's probably good that Aldo was not there to see it. At this point, Patrizia said her husband changed from Jekyll to Hyde. He started making all these changes to the company all on his own, even cutting her out of making the decisions. So these huge fights between the couple became a regular occurrence at the office. His partner, Andrea Morante, said that most phone conversations ended with the phone being thrown. This once loving couple was constantly at each other's throats. So one day, Maurizio packed his bag for a business trip. Later on, a friend stopped by to see Patrizia and he informed her that her husband didn't go on a business trip. He left and he was never returning. Now, granted, this is possibly one of the worst ways to break up with someone. But the more I heard about this woman, the more I think I might have done the same thing. I mean, she felt she was this essential part of her husband's business in life. And she was very controlling, just like his father was back in the day. We all know from the past that Maurizio didn't like having someone control him. So just like with his father, he found his escape. Financially, things were not working out for Maurizio. He was personally $40 million in debt, and the company was bleeding money. Because he used his shares in the company as collateral for loans, he couldn't pay up on his debts. Now, finally, with no other choice, he had to sell his shares in the company in September of 1993. He sold them back to InvestCore. This was the investment firm that he used to get shares from his family. After paying off his debts, he did have a surplus of $80 million. That's nothing to sneeze about. He contemplated investing the money in a casino in Switzerland. And it was around the same time that a new woman came into his life. This was Paolo Franchi. The tall blonde was the opposite of Patruzia, coming from a family of old money. So she was this very bright spot in a dismal time for him. They had met originally in their youth...
1: For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com.
0: Eventually, they would move into this four-story apartment on Corzo, Venezia, along with Paolo's son, Charlie. And supposedly, Maurizio hired a Maga Blanca, or a white witch, to cleanse the mansion of his ex's evil spirit. Franchi, the interior designer-turned-artist, left her very wealthy husband for Maurizio. So it seemed like things were turning around until that horrible day on march twenty seventh, nineteen ninety five. Around eight thirty AM, Giuseppe Onorato was sweeping leaves in the doorway of twenty Via Palestro, where Muritsu had his office. And Adora man remembers that it was just this quiet spring morning. And he recalls seeing mister Gucci arrive and he was carrying some magazines under his arm. The two exchanged greetings, and then he saw the gun. He said it in the Guardian It was a beautiful, clean hand, and it was pointing a gun. Next, there were three shots as Maurizio was headed up the steps. Those went right into Gucci's back, a fourth hitting him in the head. The shooter then turned and saw the doorman. He remembers thinking, what a shame, this is how I die. Can you even imagine that? And just imagine the terror that this man felt when the gunman noticed him. He was shot twice in the arm, but he somehow managed to make it over to Maurizio. When the police arrived, they found him holding Gucci, who had died in his arms. And somehow, I don't even know how, this man eventually returned to work, but he said he was always fearful that the killer would return because they didn't know who the killer was. Police had a very long list of suspects, the majority of them family. Maurizio had burned all of the Gucci's in the business dealings, so it was hard to tell who hated him the most. There was even talk that there might be mob involvement due to the possible dealings with the Swiss casino, but soon police would zero in on one suspect, Patrizia. They found out that the day after the murder, she showed up at Maurizio's apartment and told his girlfriend to get out, brandishing an eviction notice. She then proceeded to move into the home with her two daughters. It wasn't exactly a secret that Patrizia was angry after their divorce a year earlier in 1994. Even though she was given $850,000 in alimony and $16,000 in child support, Patrizia had a burning hatred for her ex. She was quoted as saying the alimony money was puny like a bowl of lentils, and she would tell everyone, anyone that would listen from her friends to the maid about how angry she was with him. As suspicious as police were of her, though, they just didn't have the evidence to go after her. Two years went by, and it seemed like the case might go cold. That was until an anonymous phone call came into police. The caller claimed to know just who the killer was, and he said four people were involved. A pizzeria owner a mechanic, a doorman, and a psychic. Yep, that psychic, of course, was Pina Honorima, the one that Patrizia and Maurizio were so fond of. The caller was discovered to be a man named Ivano Saviani, who was a doorman at the hotel near Gucci's office. Pina had known the man and approached him about doing the hit. Ivano had then gone to Orazio Sicala, who was the pizzeria owner, who contracted Benedito Sorallo, who was the actual killer. This is almost like if you give a mouse a cookie. Anyways, most involved were just middlemen, but it was Benedito who was an actual criminal. To snare this group, prosecutor Carlo Nosserino arranged to have everything wiretapped. I mean, they wiretapped everything, their house, their phones, their cars. Because part of the promised $300,000 to this group was still owed to them, audio from the bug car was able to be obtained when this group got together to commiserate over how they weren't paid the whole thing. So when they were all busted, everybody pointed their fingers at Patrizia Ragiani. She tried to insist that it was Pina who was behind the plot and had tried to blackmail her, but nobody was buying this, and the case went to trial in June of 1998. Patrizia was dubbed the Black Widow by the Italian press. Nazzarino told of how Maurizio was convinced his ex-wife was out to get him, by any and all means. He said that office was filled with talismans to ward off the evil eye. The evil eye, or malaccio is a curse cast upon someone by a person who is jealous or envious of them, with an envious look. Malo means ban, and occhio means eye, literally translating to bad eye or evil eye. And at one point, Maurizio had hired another psychic to combat what he thought was bad vibes coming from Pina at the behest of Patrizia. Nosserino declared that Patrizia's desire to see her husband dead was something bordering on obsession. The nail in the coffin was most likely Patrizia's diary. The day of the murder, she wrote paradisios, which means paradise, And then she also wrote, there's no crime that money cannot buy. On November 3rd in 1998, all involved were found guilty. Patrizia was sentenced to 29 years in prison. Her daughters asked the court to overturn this conviction due to this brain tumor that Patrizia had removed in 1992. They refused, but it did reduce the sentence to 26 years instead of 29 years in 2000. That same year, she attempted suicide by trying to hang herself with a shoelace, but was rescued. In 2011, she was offered something called open prison. This is a jail where the prisoners have very minimal supervision, are often not locked in their cells, and can find employment as part of their sentence. However, Patrizia refused, saying, I've never worked a day in my life, and I'm certainly not going to start now. Despite all of that, she was released in 2016 due to good behavior, if you can believe that. She can frequently be seen walking the streets with her pet parrot on her shoulder. When asked by a reporter why she had her husband shot, she quipped, My eyesight is not so good. I didn't want to miss. Oddly, Patrizia would still love to return to the Gucci family, saying, I still feel like a Gucci. In fact, the most Gucci of them all. She's still very angry with her ex, especially how she feels he ruined the family business. Throughout the years, her daughters stood by her, but as of late, they have little to no involvement with her. She said they have cut her off financially and she's not met her grandchildren. Allegra and Alessandra inherited their father's millions. So due to her involvement in Giuseppe Onorato's injuries, which were both physical and mental, Patrizia was ordered to pay him compensation, of which he has yet to receive any. Reggiani works for Beaux-Arts Design and lives with her elderly mother in Milan. The Gucci brand is once again the luxury brand it had begun as due to the direction of American Tom Ford. He was appointed creative director in 1994 and worked with Gucci until 2004. So thanks to him, the company was revitalized and flourishes today. So that was the murder of Maurizio Gucci. And as you've probably heard, the tale of Maurizio and Patrizia is being made into a film starring Adam Driver and Lady Gaga. Pictures that have leaked from the set show this uncanny resemblance to the stars, have to the real couple. It's really cool. The film also stars Al Pacino as Aldo, Jeremy Irons as Ronaldo, and Jared Leto as Paolo. This is a good cast. It's based on the House of Gucci book by Sarah Gay Ford, and it's going to be directed by Ridley Scott. Honestly, I did not know this whole story until I saw this movie coming out and pictures from the set. It is a wild story. So, in correction news, I mentioned on last week's episode about Joe Bob Briggs, and his alias and everything about him. However, someone wrote on Podbean that I'm ignorant because I said horror movies have become right-wing. I didn't even get to read the full comment because I couldn't log back on to Podbean. Anyways, that's not what I said at all, and if this guy had been listening, I said that Joe Bob Briggs had apparently become right-wing lately, not horror movies. The only thing I said about horror movies was that Joe Bob's show featured horror movies. So if anybody would like to go on Podbean and defend me, I'd be greatly honored. I mean, I don't even give a shit what Joe Bob is. If he's right-wing, if he's left-wing, whatever. Just pay attention if you're going to criticize somebody and don't be a dumbass. So that correction was for this guy, not me. I really hate how people are so quick to go and criticize somebody. And this dude didn't even have his facts straight. Criticizing me for nothing. How about we be more like Alex Trebek and try to spread some kindness and make the world a better place instead of being assholes? Anyways, if you like the podcast, join the Red Rumbla on Facebook discussion group. You can also find me on Twitter and Instagram. And if you don't like the podcast, don't listen. Get your facts straight. Anyways, hope to catch you all next week.